what I think are actually a better way to operate that create mutual win-wins. As long as an agency, we're covering our costs. We Again, we have to make sure we're doing that. But if we're doing that, then I love being in a position to say, if we're generating you more money and providing more value, instead of us getting paid less and you getting paid more, how about we all get paid more? And those deals work really well, I've come to find. And I think it's a better way to operate because, again, you have mutually aligned interests. Hello, and welcome to the Ecom Ops Podcast. We believe that there is more than enough content focused on e-commerce marketing and not enough content celebrating the real heroes of e-commerce, those running the operation. Each week, we find and interview an e-commerce operations expert to share the secrets behind how some of this industry's most exciting businesses are run. I'm your host, Norbert Strappler, the CEO of SingSpider. Hello and welcome to another Ecom Ops podcast. Today I'm talking to Ivan, who is the Chief Operating Officer of Stealth Venture Labs. Hello, Ivan. Great to have you here. Great to be here. Happy to join. Yeah, it's it's really a pleasure. I mean, um, you 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 are a specialist or have a team of uh, seasoned e-commerce and marketing professionals uh, with. Um, decades of experience in scaling brands. So this is really great. Um, and uh, you have generated over $2 billion um, dollars in, in online sales over the careers and brands that you support. Um, and this is really, really great. So um, tell us a bit more about yourself, about your company and all this kind of thing. Yeah. So uh, myself, I've been in e uh, internet marketing and primarily subscription marketing for Uh, 20 years this year, actually, um, going all the way back to when you had to sign, um, you know, sign deals and fax insertion orders um, with paper and negotiate for just, you know, specific gender traffic, if that was even available. Um, <laughs> the and then, uh, time when it's when it comes to sales. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> it's a great time to be in sales. Absolutely. Ad sales was amazing. Um so and I've been doing this for a handful of brands, a lot of women's fashion brands in the subscription place, um, uh, online grocery company named Thrive Market. Uh, I did. The, I was their chief marketing officer for a while. And uh, since then, I've been running um, with my business partner, Brent Freeman, uh, Stealth Venture Labs, which is a uh, originally, I should say, was a company that was put together with a lot of people from the industry that were really good at incubating and building brands. And we would come in and be their entire marketing team running their website, their advertising, um, uh, their development, everything, email, all of it. Um, and then actually about two and a half years ago, almost three years ago, we decided to open up a more traditional advertising agency arm um, called our Growth Lab, which is just focused more narrowly on uh, paid advertising channels, creative development, um, and optimization. And basically, since then, we've been uh, on a really awesome run working with some of the best brands, HelloFresh, Crocs, handful of others um, in the past two and a half years. And um, yeah, we just basically help brands, you know, do the best job they can at advertising. And a little bit about what makes us different is um, I've been running in-house teams most of my career. Uh, I don't believe in a in an agency profile that focuses on 
just doing, but really having awesome people that are really good at what they do and people that I would trust managing million, two million, five million dollar a month advertising accounts and just hire those people instead of people that are really smart, but then they tell other people what to do. So I like to have really smart people with their hands on their keyboards. And that's what we're doing with Stealth. That's cool. That's really cool. Um, how do you think do you set um, yourself apart from your competition? What is the difference? Why, why you? Why not the others? Yeah. So for us, I would say the biggest draw is, I mean, myself and my business partner and vast majority of the team, we have not been uh, in sort of the professional services industry forever. We've been inside of brands. And when you're inside of a brand sort of vertically focus on full stack sort of media buying where you're not just a Facebook buyer or not just an SEM buyer, you're really a marketer. Um, I gravitate towards those people because I've seen the success. I've managed, when we were at, when I was uh, in women's fashion uh, with a company that's now known as Textile Fashion Group, but these brands like Just Fab and Fabletics and all these things. We had a worldwide presence. We had an office in Spain and Berlin and in the US. We're managing about $120 million a year in advertising inside the company. We had no outside agencies except for uh, TV uh, buying and procurement. Um, I just see how that's done. And I believe in that model for uh, being on the service provider side, like having marketers that think that way, having marketers that have raised brands from the inside. So they're not just like, hey, what's your CAC target and what's your media spend? We really look at your business as like, how do we grow it as if we're sitting inside of your business? And my background, I'm not, I haven't spent my career being in the service provider world. I've spent my career being inside of businesses. And I think that gives us a unique perspective um, compared to a lot of agencies that just sort of saw an opportunity or see an opportunity to be like, hey, I'm going to get media buyers and there's a need for this. I'm going to sell media buying services and agency services. Um, and that's all that they've done. And, and that's what they've pegged their career on. So a lot of great firms out there that, that have done that. But what makes us different, I think, is um, being vertically centric with a lot of our thought processes and um, sort of being growth minded, I guess, uh, you know, natively. Yeah, that's cool. Um, really, really an interesting approach because actually you are an agency so you yeah. are from outside the of the company and yep. uh, you need to think as a part of the company which is really great how do you charge your services is this something that you say you have, you have a fixed rate or you are uh, just commission based what's the the, 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 the the typical way you go uh, when you work with a new brand yeah so you know the fun part is since we're we're not a huge company we have about 35 people for 35 full-time and 35 full-time employees Uh, a couple of contractors we keep close to the best. Um, we are really flexible. So we charge, I'd say 90% of the time, it's not too different than any other model where we charge a percent of media that we manage. But we don't charge more. If you have five channels or, or 10 channels that you're having us work on, we don't charge more per channel or anything like that, just like a, a flat percent of media fee. Um, and then sort of the the, the variable piece is, Some brands do their creative development in-house. Some brands want us to do it. That that changes the pay a little bit or that changes the compensation a little bit. Uh, but honestly, I'm receptive to all uh, types of packaging, packages. And I recognize that there's got to be business sense. So I try to find like win-win scenarios, really. Uh, so we have brands that come to us and say, hey, well, can you do something that is a flat fee retainer 
and then a percentage of the upside if you guys you know beat cat goal or um, generate extra revenue we can you know carve off a little bit of extra profits right which i think are, are i like that type of model if we're able to run a business where we ha- you know we have cost too we're a for profit company if we have a business where we can um get our our main coverage and a little bit of profit off of our retained fees and then have upside by improving their business that creates a better alignment so we we entertain those deals all the time because one thing that, about the agency world which I'm sure you're familiar of if you're just a percent of media company you're not really incentivized to beat cat goal you know yeah. because if you spend less money and get them their customers guess what you make less money as a company but actually this is why i asked that question because i know it from the agency perspective the more media you manage the more money you get paid because you have a percentage share on the media yeah so i've been working deals lately that i that i really like and have been really good for everybody involved which says hey your cat goal let's use a hypothetical your cat goal is $50 here's the maximum media you could spend let's just say it's $500,000 um, or whatever, $50,000. So they could get a thousand customers in that case. Um, we'll say, Hey, if we get customers for $40 instead and get your thousand customers and only spend 40 grand instead of 50 grand in that example, we would make less money. Right. But I say, well, how about this? You give us, since we saved you $10 in CAC, how about you give us an extra $2 or $3 per customer if we, you know, if we hit $40 instead, they, so then their effective CAC is 43, better than 50. And it incentivizes us to actually make margin improvements without taking money out of our own, uh, you know, pockets. Uh, and those deals, I think, are actually a better way to operate that create mutual win-wins. As long as, as an agency, we're covering our costs. We Again, we have to make sure we're doing that. But if we're doing that, then I love being in a position to say, if we're generating you more money and providing more value instead of us getting paid less and you getting paid more, how about we all get paid more? <laughs> um, and those deals work really well. Um, I've come to find, and I think it's a better way to operate. Cause again, you have mutually aligned interests. Yeah. I fully need to agree. This is very seldom to be honest, to see this. Uh, typically you just have, um, yeah, that this, this media share, um, in, in percentage or maybe some kind of flat fee, uh, but to have uh, um, specific numbers that you agree on and, and make a bonus out of it, this is really interesting. But it only works if you have a, a good number of, 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 of media or, or a good number of um, um, annual uh, media spend uh, so that you really can uh, make those calculations. Which brings me to the next question. Um, from where does it make sense for you to start? So what, what is your minimum budget that you say, okay, this is something we try? Yeah, so I like to say, you know, the minimum budget, I would say brands that are spending 30,000 USD, 40,000 USD a month, um, good place for us to jump in. Uh, we take smaller clients if they have, you know, say they're coming to market, obviously they have no history. They're trying to jump in with like, Hey, we have a 25 or $50,000 budget over the first three months. Um, you know, can you help? We do that every so often too. Uh, but you know, you need to have money to be able to test testing costs, money, exploring media channels, costs money. Um, I always like to tell people coming to market, if you plan on coming to market and immediately hitting profitability, 
99% of the time, you're going to be disappointed just because brands don't come to market unless you have like a celebrity backing and a bunch of free PR behind it or free PR behind it. You don't come out of the gate just crushing your goals. You have to, you have to have the willingness to experiment. Um, you have to have a firm like us that is able to uh, work the problem and, and focus on driving results. But you know, if you have $25,000, $30,000 a month to spend on media, that's where we start. And as long as we're making, we, we kind of have a plan where we start with like a $2,500 uh, retained fee. And then it, we do three months, then month to month contracts. And from there, that, those are for the sort of smaller accounts. We hope to grow you. And our goal is to grow you to where you're spending five or 10 or $15,000 a month with, with us, which is great because then we're getting you to spend 100, 150, $200,000 in media and everybody's doing really well. But, um, you know, companies got to start somewhere. They need broad support. And, you know, even if they're paying us $3,000, $4,000 a month, that is way cheaper than one, than like half of a really good employee, like a yeah. really good media buyer, way cheaper than that. And you're getting several good media buyers. You're getting a, a strategist. You're getting graphic design work. You're getting oversight from executives that have worked at, you know, multi-billion dollar companies. Um, so we always like to say, hey, you know, the first three months are, are definitely an investment. We're here to make you money. We're here to grow your brand. Um, but they have to have, they do, we do look for brands that have a, desire and the means to grow. So, you know, they're either pretty well capitalized. Like they're like, Hey, we want to be spending a hundred, 200, $300,000 in a few months. They are fundraising with, with a good outlook. So they're going to be bringing in money for capital and growth. Um, and you know, they want to grow. They don't, we're, we we do not really gravitate towards like the lifestyle, like nothing against that, but like the brands are like, Hey, yeah, we just want to spend like 20, $30,000 a month for the next three years that pays for my house and pays for my kids to go to school. Like not as interesting to us because we are growth minded. We want to keep, you know, upping the barn and beating year over year comps. And um, what, what, what is the specialization? So are you on e-commerce or is it uh, also for, let's say uh, lead generation or SaaS applications that you market for? I would say, um, I believe, and my, me and the team believe that marketing is somewhat universal. Um, all you're trying to do is grab someone's attention, uh, discuss with them in, in what in the terms that they need to understand the product and get them to transact. So I like to say we can transcend a lot of different verticals. But the reality is, from my background, consumer packaged goods, uh, highly focused, um, and subscription commerce, uh, highly focused. From my background, a lot of the team's background. A majority of our portfolio falls into e-commerce or subscription commerce, but we do do um, some uh, some tech media buying. We do uh, app installs, uh, so digital products in that case. And we've spent a lot of time doing lead gen for a couple of other clients as well um, for like finance leads and things like that. It all, you know, all it is is slightly different, you know, higher uh, customer acquisition costs allow allowable if you're if we're working with a brand that could pay $1,000 for a qualified lead because they sell them, you know, technology that's, that they're going to make 10, 15, $20,000 on. Um, you know, that works for us too. It's just, you know, you're only talking about maybe 10, 20, 30 sales a month and you're optimizing to big dollars, but we take that on as well and everybody wins. So I would say right now you look at our portfolio, heavy bias towards e-commerce, heavy bias towards subscription commerce. Um, but then I feel like we could take on pretty much anything. Yeah, that's cool. Um, 
Now, there are a lot of listeners that we have that are started recently with web shop or that uh, are in, in, in a very low range. Um, mm -hmm. what, what do you recommend to them in terms of um, ad spend? I mean, they have, um, as, as far as I've seen in the, in the past, let's say 1,000, 2,000 euros or dollars per month to, to invest into media. Um, and, and that's even much. So I, yeah. I've even said customers with three, four, five hundred dollars. Yep. What, what can you tell them? Is it, is it even, does it make sense to, um, to fire up that money? Uh, or, or, I mean, I certainly believe in advertising. I think when you're, if you're talking of budgets of call it less than 5,000 a month, let's just say that, um, in, in dollars, I would say that there's an importance of, uh, depending on your brand, there's, there's nuance to this, but most of the time it's focused on search. Search is always going to show you the demand for a product like yours. Um, work with a search expert, specifically SEM, um, not SEO. I could talk about SEO separately. I'm not saying don't do SEO, but I'm saying SEO is a long-term investment. Yeah. SEM gets you answers more quickly. Um, but, you know, focus on efficient keywords. If you got the ability to create long tail keywords, find a niche that's hyper-profitable, uh, hyper so you can jump into other channels, use that as a breeding ground to do so if you're self-funding your, your venture. Absolutely. And, you know, long tail basic SEM management without getting into performance max and all the different nuances and all the cool things that you can do, say, within Google, um, even just learning the basics of how to do SEM is not, if you're able to build a web store and able to, to oversee that and have a mind for a, running a digital brand you can figure out a lot of basic SEM and just see how your product sticks. See if you can get your product in hand at an efficient ad rate and then find a way to jump into other channels. Facebook, awesome channel up until about a, you know two years ago or whatever, a year and a half ago at this point. Um, now it's a, it's a challenge to launch on Facebook with yeah. paid. I'm not saying don't do it, But you have to take a similar approach. You have to find a very targeted audience that's hyper, you know, influence on your product. It's going to take a long time. And $500 or $1,000 goes quick on Facebook. It, you know, if you're talking about having to only do $30 a day, you know, and if, depending on your allowable customer acquisition costs, that could take a long time to just get a customer. Um, and, and you're not going to get a lot of learning from that. But Doesn't mean don't do it, but I say start with search because you could find a demand-driven audience that's looking for you. Use that to build up the coffers and work your way up to other channels. Work on your organic presence. So creating a really fun organic presence on your paid social, uh, you know, your Facebook, your IG, TikTok, fantastic these days. Data showing that that customers are gravitating towards TikTok in a huge way. It's a fun paid so, or a fun social platform leading to fun content. If you got a product that can go there, create an organic presence and start working that angle too. Um, but work to get your budget up. And if you have, if you're bootstrapping this, like a lot of young entrepreneurs are, entrepreneurs are, um, be focused on efficiency first. Try to get your huge ROAS to turn your $500 into $2,500, you know, get a 5X ROAS on that. Then next month, try to do $2,000. See if you can turn it into 10 uh, and maintain ROAS and just keep growing and growing and growing until you create a machine. And I, I'll, last piece I'll say on this, I see that brands, like if I were to say there's a threshold, and again, there's there's outliers to all anything I'm saying, right? But you don't have an established marketing engine until you're really spending, call it $25,000 a month, $30,000 
and no less between a, you know Facebook and Google. At that point, when you're spending almost a thousand dollars a day, you have a foundation for a marketing engine. Now, you know you always want to grow, but you you have product market fit. You're able to do that. You're making money. You're building a business. You have you have something. If you're less than that, doesn't mean you don't have something, but it means you you still got ways to go. Yeah. Okay. I got it. And a very interesting question is, um, I mean, you you have, let's say you have the budget, you have a new brand. How how is your the what do you think is is it possible for every brand that has the budget to be there uh, and to make a revenue machine? Or are there still bloggers, blockers that will hit you so hard that you will not succeed? Yeah, I think um, that's a really awesome question. Um, the best answer I have for that is we have, so we here at Stealth, I'll say, um, we employ something that we have, we call the five criteria um, for product market fit. Um, it's basically looking at what are the things that we see time and time and time again that lead to businesses being successful. And um, my business partner, Brent, he went it, like, it's a funny story. If you don't mind me saying, um, that's good. I love <laughs> funny's good, right? Even, like even if they're, or especially when they are funny, <laughs> um, my, my business partner, Brent years ago, he literally went up in, you know, rented a cabin on a lake, um, and went up there to try to think about like, what has he discovered, um, that will, that are universally sound as the things that lead to a product having product market fit. Um, and he thought for a few days, he like disconnected his phone and it was just like up in nature. I'm, I, I'm not exaggerating this. And he's a, he's an awesome guy. He came back with these five things that we've seen time and time again, depending on how well your business serves these five things will lead to a greater likelihood of success. And those five things are, um, and these are not necessarily in a particular order, but one is having a passionate audience for your product. So um, you want a group of people to really dig what you're putting out there and really enjoy um, that and be in something that that drives people. Um, you know, it, it, you have things, you know, if you're selling pencils, if you're selling paper on the internet, um, you know, you gotta have, you know, something that that makes you stand out, that, that drives passion, art and, and everything goes to people's, emotions. So you need a passionate group of people behind your product. And with that passionate group of people, um, they also have to be, so that's number one, passion. Number two, having a good market size. So you have people that are really passionate about, I'll use this example, underwater basket weaving. You could get them, but there's not a lot of them. It's not a huge audience, but they love the product. So fits really well with, with being a passionate audience not necessarily a big one. So you want to have a big audience that you can, um, you know, have subscribed to your product. Meal at home companies. People like to eat. People like to eat certain types of meals. And everybody generally wants food. Great idea. Great audience. You have your entire, you know, your entire audience is everybody at that point. Um, you need to have something unique with your product. You need to have something that makes you stand out. A me too. And these are things that like, yeah, there's always room for another competitor. But if you are a copy of your competitor, you know, top to bottom, you're not going to win. Your competitor is probably going to be able to do it better because they have better supply chain. They have a head start. What makes you unique? What makes you somewhat different in the space? 
finding something that you could say only we do or only we have or only we contribute to makes uh, a difference to help you stand out. It's a marketing point. It's it's something that says, hey, well, why should I try this brand instead of that brand? Well, this brand also gives 5% of its profits back to uh, this social cause, which I would rather do than not. Great. Something that makes them unique. And it could just be part of their product, could be part of what they stand for, anything. Um, number four, this is like, <laughs> I feel like this is the most obvious, but it's also one that I see missed a lot for scale, compelling unit economics. Like you need to be out there with a product that uh, operates at sort of a 50% ideally or better gross profit margin before customer acquisition costs and team and everything, just getting it to the customer. Uh, if you're selling something for $100, it can't cost you more than $50 to get it over to them because then you're not going to have any room for, for growth marketing, which is a customer acquisition cost beneath that. Um, and subscriptions obviously give you a lot of revenue downstream, but you've got to have compelling unit economics if you're trying to go to market or see the road to have that. Brands that have 20% or 30% gross profit margins doesn't leave you a lot for advertising when you're when all is said and done. Uh, and then the last piece that we have is it's got to solve what we call, say, solving a market pain. Um, I'll use meal at home as a as another good example. People don't want to go to the grocery store or they can't find the foods that they like at the grocery store. So the market pain that a meal at home company solves, they deliver you good food to your doorstep. Like you save time, uh, you potentially and usually save money and you eat better. Like. That's a huge pain that is now lifted off of the consumer's um, list. And that's why they like your product. Or same with just coffee, getting coffee delivered at home. Like instead of going and getting a $5 or five euro, you know, crazy cup of coffee at a fancy coffee shop, why not just get it delivered to your home and enjoy it at home? It solves a pain. You get your caffeine, everybody wins. So you got to have something that makes people be like, okay, this is really great. For my lifestyle, it saves me time. It gives me time back. It saves me money. It solves a problem of my own. That's why I like your product. You hit well on all five of those things. You have a product that I think has a really good shot of being successful in the marketplace. Okay, great explanation. Really love that. Um, it's And it's true. Um, it, it's simply true. So um, if, if all those criterias are met, I think there is literally no chance that you lose when you put the marketing budget um, on, on the plate. Uh, one question to, to Facebook. Um, I mean, we see a lot of people running ads on Facebook and I heard from nearly everyone, the prices went insane past two years. Uh, you said it as well. Um, do you have a feeling, how much did it, did it raise? Um, well, we've seen, uh, so we've been able to get some pretty good internal data from clients that we've had for multiple years, sort of looking at same on same audiences over a period of time. Um, the best number I have, which is really looking at sort of the past sort of six months, well, now I guess more like eight months of history, um, we've seen about a, on, on same traffic, same, same traffic, about a 40 to 60% increase on CPMs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, you see some seasonality going into the holiday season, right? Because holiday season, Christmas, holiday gift giving, uh, there, there's there's companies that spend 50% of their marketing budget in November and December. Yeah. So that jacks ad rates up. What we didn't see is usually, and I've seen this for 19 out of the past 20 years, like honestly, 
December 26th, ad rates get better. Christmas is over. That pushes over. New year, new you, different type of buyer right now. But ad rates drop down. You can you can measure that every year on Facebook. Um, with same if you have a if you're a brand that's been doing it for ten years, I guarantee you, you look at your same ad rates from December first through twenty fifth and December twenty sixth through say January fifteenth or something. You will see historically a big drop in CPMs on the same traffic. Now that drop off didn't really happen. Ad rates just kind of stayed there. And everybody was like, all right, you know, for brands that don't play in the holiday season, because like subscription companies, subscriptions aren't really a gift to give usually. Um, And we work with a lot of subscription companies, so they don't they don't really play heavy in the holiday season. So they're waiting for December 26th. Like, okay, now it's time to get ready. That didn't happen this year. And that was the first year in 20 years. I didn't really see a marketed drop in CPMs, which just tells me. Um, Facebook's really trying to chase revenue or trying to create more ad units or somewhere in between. Um, but that's the n- best number I have is like 40 to 60% increase in about an eight month period, sort of going back to the beginning of Q4, end of Q3 last year um, on same audiences um, without that dip off that you should get, that correction you should get when the new year starts. So, yeah, that's really insane. We've, we've seen that as well. And a lot of our customers, uh, to- told us the same thing uh, that those rates really, really were dramatically um, higher than than compared to the past. Um, as a, a digital expert, what do you think about automations? Using automations, making automations happy, um, mm-hmm. uh, working. I think, um, and when you say automations, do you mean automations in like, say, ad bidding and buying strategies, things like that? Um, in, in general, uh, in business-wise operations. So let's oh. say uh, in, in, in marketing, in e-commerce, um, in, in connecting different tools with each other. Yep. How important um, is that? It's so important. Um, you want to talk about being like, it's actually one of those things that uh, brands, when they come to market, just if they're talking about automation throughout the business, I always try to tell people, I give people a couple of suggestions on learning how to use some basic things like Zapier um, and a couple of other tools like that and, and get automation going from the get-go that are routine things that keep your business going. And that's things like, say, reporting, daily sales. I'm a, I'm a hyper data focused person. My background is actually in data and data science before I really got into managing businesses. Um, so I'm a huge, huge proponent of creating automation that gives you as a business owner more insights into your business. Losing track of your business KPIs only gets uh, easier to lose track of your business the bigger you grow. Meaning uh, when you're three people working out of your garage, easy to understand how the business is going. You're looking at four different reports. You're pulling up your Shopify. You're pulling up Facebook. And you're pulling up Google Analytics. And you're like, great. Now, bigger you get, you're tracking, well, where's my inventory? Is it sitting on a boat somewhere? What am I buying? Where do I need to buy? When do I need to buy? I need to do financial planning and analysis. I need to understand how my cash flow is going to work this year. Um, when do I got to raise money? Do I need to raise money? Um, and how much money do I need to raise? And all these things, as you grow and grow your business, automating the kinds of triggered um, alerts for you to say, oh, I need to look at this because I had budgeted for our cash balance to be at $200,000 at the end of this month, and we're at $150,000 of of cash. 
where did that extra $50,000 go? And having an alert that puts that front and center as an operator is important. So I love telling people when you're starting a business, automate as much as you can, because these little routine things that you have to pay somebody for, or you have to do yourself. Like I talk to people all the time. They're like, the first thing I do every day is I get up, I copy and paste this, put it in my Google sheet. And then I copy this over here and put it over there. And then I, then I copy and paste this and send it to an email to this person. I'm like, you know, you can literally automate all of that and then save yourself an hour of day of useless work that doesn't drive your business forward. So um, there are so many tools that could just make your life easier and, and focus on what you want to see. And I, one thing I do when I have uh, friends and entrepreneurs coming to market, I sit with them and say, here are your real KPIs for your business. These are the five things or six things you, or 10 things you need to monitor depending on the business, but you always need to be monitoring your cash level. You need to be monitoring your um, uh, sort of, and with that cash level, your restricted capital, working capital versus free cash. Um, you need to be monitoring your inventory, where it's at, especially if you're in consumer packaged goods, because missing your inventory or if it's sitting someplace where it's not supposed to, uh, you could buy early, you wrap up cash, insure a product. You could buy late and hope it gets there on time and you don't you know, have uh, a situation where you don't have product to sell. So you got to keep track of that. You got to keep track of your blended marketing KPIs. So in-channel performance, in-channel metrics, not as reliable as they used to be, obviously, um, yeah. especially on Facebook. I mean, it used to be so solid, 10, 5% different, uh, discrepancy. Now, 30, 40, 50% discrepancies um, because of reporting. So now you got to be looking at your blended marketing metrics and then be laser focused on how that changes over time and why and ask why. Um, But you can automate most of that to where as an operator and as a team, you get that stuff sent to you with with very out-of-the-box reporting tools due to Google Data Studio, hooked up with Zapier, pulling stuff in, um, learning basics about just how to send stuff. Like you can have reports sent to your email have a script that can take that, put that in a consolidated Google sheet for you. So you're not copying and pasting. Anybody can learn that stuff. And it's, uh, it just saves you so much time. It might be 15 minutes a day, but guess what? 15 minutes a day is an hour, almost an hour and a half a week times 52 weeks. That's over a hundred hours. That's almost a hundred hours a year of time that you're not pushing your business forward. You're just trying to keep the pieces together. Um, and, then, and then just calculate the time that you are costing uh, yes. the, the, the companies. Uh, so this is, I mean, you, you, and even if it's just 40 or $50 per hour, then you as a CEO are charging for yourself yep. uh, or calculating for yourself. It's 100 hours. It's, you can pay already uh, one ma- one month of a freelancer to put all yeah. in this automations. Yeah, and, and not to mention the opportunity cost. The opportunity cost, uh, if you yeah. had, if you're a CEO and you had 100 extra hours a year to put into driving partnerships or improving your rates with your vendors or driving the business forward and not copying and pasting stuff, like you could really change your business. But instead, you know, everyone gets stuck on like, I have to copy and paste this. Otherwise, my business doesn't work. I'm like, automate <laughs> that stuff. All right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I love the calculation because we have it on our website of SingSpider. Um, we, we have the calculation actually for uh, an employee that needs to copy paste an order from um, from 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 Amazon to the ERP software for shipment, and uh-huh. we, it's a five minutes per order copy pasting. And if you have ten orders per day, it's yep. already fifty minutes. 
play copy pasting of an employee and this calculated on top and it's really it's so expensive it just doesn't make sense and that's a great way to save that, money so. when you're when you're coming to market like when you're yeah. bootstrapping your business don't discount how much money you could save by automating and evaluating those menial tasks that you're that you're doing and they're they're adding up it's it's such a it could be such a lift so cool 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 um Ivan, um, last question for today. Um, who has taught you the most about e-commerce in your career? Interesting question. I would say um, the most I've learned about e-commerce would have to be Adam Goldenberg, who is the CEO at Textile Fashion Group, one of the two CEOs at Textile Fashion Group. Um, I met him. Uh, I started working for him when I was 20 years old. Um, he taught me the most about e-commerce and business. Um, as somebody that I just basically worked alongside him for almost 15 years, helping him raise hundreds of millions of dollars for textile, learning more and more about how to run a business, how to be a great leader, how to evaluate how business is doing, um, and how to be a, an awesome marketer and, and just create in an industry where I really got to see, I was fortunate to see internet advertising really when it was like at its toddler stage. Um, I wasn't at the very beginning in the late 90s before the boom, but I was there in 2001, 2002 and seeing where it's going. And that's just been an awesome way to understand sort of where it started, where it's been and where it's going. Um, and Adam really impressed upon me a lot of great business fundamentals for just simply how to manage and run a business, how to create and build a marketing engine um, that that starts returning money. And then how to be responsible on tracking KPIs as a hyper-analytical person, um, because that tells the story. Data, in the end of the day, my belief is data itself is pure in its storytelling. Um, and it asks the most questions as to why. They, it, it creates the questions as to why something is the way it is. But data, in its purest form, really doesn't lie. It could be manipulated. It could be spun. It could be changed but it doesn't lie. And I learned that um, in, after working with him for 15 years, just sort of like, this is how you this is how you picture data, this is how you do it, and this is how you apply it to marketing. Okay, thank you very much. That's really great. Ivan, thanks so much for your time. It was really a pleasure talking to you. And uh, yeah, I really like the, 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 the information we got today. So like um, ad spend, um, it, it of course needs to be a, a huge amount of money to really succeed, but it will work if your product is market fit. If you have those five criterias that sees that the product is market fit, then it will work. And um, of course, you can also put lower budget into this, but you're maybe not yet market fit or you are maybe not yet in the right position to really grow. But if you want to grow, of course, you need some media to media budget to really put in uh, in the investment. And of course, what I what I learned and I like this as well, you need at least 50% um, of, of, of margin to, to really um, um, yeah, see, see if it works. So if it's just a 20 or 30% that you have, uh, you will not be able to put as many marketing budget uh, as, as you should to really grow your business. And Absolutely. of course, I love that automation is uh, key to success. Uh, this is a very important thing also for us. Thank you very much. Um, guys, and if you liked it, just uh, subscribe to our podcast, Ecomops Podcast, and uh, do a review. Would love to see that. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Thank you. 
And that's it for this episode of the Ecom Ops Podcast. If you enjoyed listening and would like us to find and interview more e-commerce operations experts, please search for Ecom Ops Podcast in your favorite podcast listening app and then subscribe, rate, and review. Until next time.